everybody welcome to the show y'all welcome 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 we're all over the place today i feel like a lot of the stories that i have um lined up for early in the show are actually probably better later in the show but nonetheless that's how i will proceed to present them so you know get ready for all that a lot of stuff to talk about we got Michelle Obama now has a podcast, and it's exactly as you would expect it to be. She spoke to former President Barack Obama. Um, They're blissfully unaware of just how responsible he is for this current moment. Um, We also have some some new protests now, anti-eviction protests. We're going to talk about that. We have some new polling on Medicare for All, which, you know, just further verifies how correct the left has been all along and how, you know, pathetic it is that the party leadership is completely separate from us. We got Louis Gohmert diagnosed with COVID-19. When you hear who he blames, you're going to shit a brick. (laughs) So there's uh, there's a lot of stuff to get to. Um, And then what else do I have for you? Oh, Trump. Trump is now pretending to shift left, perhaps because he sees what's happening with the polls, but he's full of shit, and that, you know, that goes without saying. So, hmm. without further ado, let's get started, and uh, we're going to do that with Michelle Obama and her podcast and uh, the exchange that popped up on my Twitter feed. Here we go. Michelle Obama now has a podcast, and the first guest was her husband, former President Barack Obama, 
And um, this is a, a little portion of the podcast that popped up on my Twitter timeline. The stuff they say is just as smug, arrogant, elitist, and disconnected as you thought it would be. Watch this. The only thing that worries me, and I agree in terms of the hope that I feel when I look at young people, just how they were raised, the values, their exposure, the questions that they have, the change in the economy that's forcing them to ask a certain set of questions. That gives me hope. But the thing that I worry is that I hear, I think, too many young people who question whether voting, whether politics is worth it. Well, partly because they have been told the message is sent every day that government doesn't work. You know, they take for granted all the things that a working government has done in the past. And in, in some ways, we're still living on the investment that was made by that greatest generation? I always joke that, yeah, and I said this about, um, you know, one of the challenges being president is, like, you don't have a marketing budget, you know? There's really no structure to market government, right? The average young person knows far more about the cereal they're eating and the car they're driving than they do about what government actually does for them because they don't have marketing budget. There isn't a jingle. The only time they know about what government's doing is when it doesn't work. Right. So we're getting a good lesson in that right now. Exactly. If people are paying attention and they understand what's missing, right. not having a, you know, a public health system uh, that takes care of people whether you're working or not, um, that takes care of you whether you have pre-existing conditions or not, um, unemployment, um, Social Security, you know, all of the things that sort of keep people going when the chosen path doesn't work. And, um, and, and I think you're absolutely right that the danger for this generation is that they become too deeply cynical in government. Why do you think we've become too deeply cynical? Why do you think that is, President Obama? That's a pretty straightforward question. Now, obviously, he can't answer it because he's not with me right now, but my guess is he would dodge because he wouldn't like the answer. So I was born in 1988, which makes me the absolute perfect age to, you know, really have the peak of my political awakening during the Obama years. Um, Born in 88, he was elected in 2008. I'm 20 years old. It was the first election that I could vote in. Um, And, of course, I went and I cast my vote for him. Now, I had seen a lot of my political development was from what happened directly before Obama in the Bush years. And I cannot overstate how terrible those years are. I mean, anybody who was paying attention and really cares about what's going on in the world was mortified during those years. We had multiple endless wars going on. We had uh, a giant economic crash, subprime mortgage crisis, and the Great Recession. 
and we had this child who's basically the most powerful person in the world, doesn't even believe in science, backwards socially as well, anti-gay marriage and things of that nature. So we experienced how bad it was. Then along comes Barack Obama and basically my generation, many of you guys listening to the show, although we have people of all different ages, um, we said, you know what? This is our moment. This is our moment. Now it's time to change history. Now it's time to assert ourselves and basically support fundamental radical change. And a lot of people voted for Barack Obama hoping that he was going to be as transformative a figure as FDR was the generation prior. And in fact, in that they're back and forth there. What does Obama say? He says, quote, in some ways, we're still living on the investment made by the greatest generation. You know who he's referring to? He's referring to FDR and the New Deal. He's referring to um, the social programs that came into existence in prior generations, whether it's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. You could also throw in Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty in there as well, which obviously came later. But he's saying... In many ways, we're still living on the investment made by the greatest generation. Right. But, see, when we elected you, we were expecting another round, another wave of fundamental systemic change in that vein. And we didn't get it. So let's go through some of what they say here. Too many young people question if politics is worth it. I wonder why they question if politics is worth it. Now, the argument they make is, well, it's because they're... They're not really educated on what's going on. They know more about the cereal they're eating, and they know more about you know, the different products and the commercials. They don't know about what's happening in government. I submit to you, this generation is the most educated generation, and the problem is the exact opposite. We know too much about what's going on, and we see how disgusting the whole system is and how disgusting everybody involved is, and that's what turns people off to politics. What turns people off to politics is that you have a Republican Party, and a diet Republican Party. So do you want to support neoconservative corporatists or neoliberal corporatists? Do you want uh, intervention like the neocon hawks support? So do you want hard intervention or soft intervention? This is the spectrum of debate. This is why young people are so turned off to politics, because... The, the feeling is, well, if I'm always supporting the lesser of two evils, what's the point? I would like an option that's not evil. So it's so funny that he's complaining about this because he's part of the problem. And in fact, with him, he might be the worst part of the problem because we had such high hopes for him. And then when he comes in and he's just another politician and he governs just like Bill Clinton did in the 1990s, well, of course people are going to be turned off to this stuff. Michelle Obama actually has the nerve to say there, um, you know, well, you don't have a marketing budget, so they don't really know the things that you've done for them. And, I mean, think about it. Like, now young people are realizing how terrible it is that we, like, have no public health system, for example. Your husband had a supermajority when he was president, a supermajority of Democrats. And you know what he did? He passed the Republican health care plan. 
the individual mandate plan originally came from the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-wing think tank. It was previously supported in the 1990s by Newt Gingrich and Chuck Grassley. It was the right-wing answer to the left-wing position of national health care. They wanted to keep the private system in control. Your husband passed the Republican health care plan. He's admitted it before. He's come out and said, I'm basically a moderate Republican of the 1980s. This is what Obama says. So you can't say, oh, my God, these kids don't appreciate what government has done for them. And then you cite an example where the government didn't do anything for them, certainly didn't do the right thing for them. You could say, yes, Obamacare was a step in the right direction above what we had before, but that doesn't mean it's good. What's good is at the very least a public option, but really the answer is Medicare for all. That's the only way you cover absolutely everybody. That's the only way. So, you know, I mean, even the examples they use disprove their point. And just the idea that, like, look, these young people, they're so caught up in all the consumerist nonsense. That's the problem. They really need to be educated on what government does. No, we are educated on what the government does, and that's why usually turnout among younger voters is down. Because they recognize it's all, you know, lesser of two evils, and politicians are full of it. Barack Obama had a real opportunity to be a transformative figure, and he just wasn't. Now, does that mean I'm not going to give him credit where he does good things like the Iran deal and, and you know, moving towards peace with Cuba, for example? No, of course I'll give him credit where credit is due. But let's not pretend like, you know, his, president, his presidency represented what it could have represented, which is the next FDR and real fundamental systemic reform. He could have tried to do something to end the corruption. He did not. He didn't even end the wars. See, if he had, if all else was exactly the same and Obama ended the wars, I would probably be a giant Obama defender because that's such a big thing that you, it can't be overlooked. It's not just like, oh, a little good thing here or there. No, that's like one of the primary reasons he was elected. I know because I'm one of the people who, who voted for him, and that was one of my main reasons for voting for him. It's like, okay, at least we'll end these stupid wars. He didn't do it. And now he has the nerve to go out there and say this stuff. Too many young people don't know if politics is worth it. Um, you know, the message is sent every day that government doesn't work. Well, yes, it does work. In some ways, we're still living on the investment made by the greatest generation. This is all the stuff they were saying. Um, Michelle says, you don't have a marketing budget. That's the problem. By the way, that's also a hilarious thing to say because, yeah, his marketing budget is himself. When you're a politician, you make your own case. What do you mean he doesn't have a marketing budget? His whole source of power comes from the fact that he's a convincing speaker. So he is his biggest marketer. That's the way it works in politics. That's the way it works. But the thing is, there's not really, the, the core stuff is not there for him to brag about because he didn't do it. He didn't get us Medicare for all or even a public option when he had a supermajority. He bailed out Wall Street which is the exact opposite of what he should have done. I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm not going to go through everything here, but, I mean, guys, the Obamas are exactly what you think they are. The first story post his presidency, remember what it was with Barack Obama? It was him taking a tremendous amount of money for Wall Street speeches. I forget the exact amount, maybe 400 grand, a pop or something like that. The very first time he was in the news post his presidency, 
was him getting paid, son. That's the very first time. You know what I think the second time was? He was parasailing with the creepy billionaire Richard Branson. Is that his name, Richard Branson? Virgin Airlines guy, kind of funky looking. He was hanging out with that guy, smiling on a boat. You know, you look at Obama and what he did, it's almost like he feels like, well, I was president, now I'm not president. It's almost like this above that disconnection from him where it's not, he doesn't really fully understand that, you know, we still have millions of people in this country that don't have health care. We still have these wars going on and innocent civilians are dying all the time. Now we have a pandemic and 150,000 Americans are dead and more will be added like, there's all these real problems. He feels like, well, I just put my time in, now I'm done, so I'm going to enjoy I'm gonna enjoy the rest of my life. Like, I did. I paid my dues. So in a funny way, he's kind of guilty of the thing he accuses millennials of being guilty of, and, and young folks, of like, oh, they're so disconnected, and they're so obsessed with consumerism and material goods. And it's like, that's kind of how you're acting now as you browbeat everybody, and here's the worst part of it all. His solution is what? Just vote for more Democrats. Oh, just vote for more Democrats. So move some deck chairs around on the Titanic. That's what you want to do. Because if all we're doing is voting for neoliberal corporatists, then I got news for you. At some point, there's going to be a President Tucker Carlson. And perhaps President Tucker Carlson is going to be even more competent than Donald Trump is and perhaps that has really devastating consequences. He refuses to acknowledge or accept the idea that in many ways he fell short of what his promise was. And he also doesn't understand that, yes, it is a direct result of the neoliberal corporate Democratic Party that leads to a rise in the fake populist far right. In his mind, the dynamic is as simple as Democrat, good. Republican, bad. So now I will browbeat young people to fall in line and vote for Democrats. You wouldn't have to browbeat them if you did Medicare for all and if you ended the wars. You wouldn't have to browbeat them if you did an infrastructure deal and upgraded our infrastructure from a grade of D plus to a grade of A plus. You wouldn't have to browbeat them if you raised wages, if you legalized marijuana and freed all the nonviolent drug offenders. You wouldn't have to browbeat us. We would just show up because the problem is the opposite of what you're saying. It's not like we're not educated enough on it. We're overeducated on it. And so we see that you're full of it, too. The Democrats are full of it, too. So, and this is, unfortunately, this is exactly what you'd expect from Obama. And Michelle, how condescending is it for them to say, well, the reason why these young people don't know anything is because there's no jingle and no marketing budget to what we've done. They know more about their favorite cereal and stuff. <laughs> oh, man, they really think that they're the saviors and their hands are clean in all this. And they really think the Democrats are the answer, full stop. We had eight years of Democratic leadership, and that led to Donald Trump getting elected. You would think that would make you look in the mirror a little bit, but clearly it hasn't. Okay. Next.
Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin went on the Sunday shows and shoved his foot directly in his mouth while discussing unemployment benefits. Absolutely agree on enhanced unemployment. We want to fix the issue where in some cases people are overpaid and we want to make sure there's the right incentives. But again, let me just emphasize, we put on the table a proposal. Let's extend it for one week at the same rate while we negotiate so we don't hurt the American public. So, so you do think it is a disincentive to find a job if you have that extra $600? There's no question in certain cases where we're paying people more to work, stay home than to work, that's created issues in the entire economy. But let me just say, you have to look at all I want to interrupt you there for just one second. It's not all the evidence. A Yale study from this month refutes that, saying many economists who have studied the benefits said that so far they don't see any evidence in labor market data that the payments are affecting the rate at which people are returning to work during the pandemic. Well, let me just say I went to Yale. I, I, I agree know on that. certain things. I don't always agree. There's a Chicago study that goes through all the people that are overpaid. But, but let's just face it. We know factually, okay, there are cases where people are overpaid. This country is going to absolutely implode. This country is going to implode. They do not understand. Steve Mnuchin is a Goldman Sachs guy. He's been wealthy his whole life. He's now the Treasury Secretary. He does not understand what's coming. Neither does Trump, who today was bragging about the NASDAQ on Twitter. And it's not just the Republicans, just so everybody understands. It's the Democrats as well. They don't know. You think Nancy Pelosi fully understands what's coming? They don't know what's coming. On the Sunday shows... They're arguing about the $600 extra unemployment benefit. And the focus is, I mean, people are overpaid. We want to tell you they're overpaid. We got to do something to fix that. You're talking about people being overpaid with a $600 unemployment benefit at a time when you have 32% of the country couldn't make their July housing payment. You have some states, guys, where it's over 50%. West Virginia, it was 59% could not pay their rent. Tennessee, 55%. Even the low state is like Vermont, and it's 22%, meaning a quarter of renters in Vermont are facing eviction. So the economy is absolutely imploding. We have 20% real unemployment. A lot of the people who still have jobs took 20 or 25% pay cuts. And they're stuck on the fact that a handful of people got more money in unemployment benefits than they did from their terrible jobs. Let me tell you something. These people beforehand in their jobs were not making a living wage. They were working full time and not making enough money to survive. So you know what I say to them? If they happen to get a little bit extra money temporarily because of a freaking pandemic, God bless, son. God bless. Are you kidding me? They're focused on that one little fact. Oh, my God, there are some people who got a little bit more money, but that's going to stop us from forcing them to go back to their terrible dead-end job where they don't make enough money to survive. The horror! Oh, the horror! There's still a pandemic. I don't know if you've noticed. Have you noticed that there's still a pandemic? And you're trying to force people back to work. Force people back to work during a pandemic, and we don't even have adequate protections all around this country. And this is framed as like, well, obviously this is, this is the main problem we're talking about. They're not even talking about 
the fact that within a couple months, probably a 40 or 50% of the entire country's renters that are facing eviction. And they're stuck on the fact that a handful of people are getting $600 extra unemployment benefit per week. They have no idea what's coming, bro. They have no idea what's coming. People don't have savings, dog. How do you not get this? Okay, almost 80% of the country is living paycheck to paycheck. And you're bitching about a little bit extra in unemployment benefits that went to people who should have been making more previously. By the way, you want to solve that problem? Raise wages. They always go to the unemployment end of the equation and say, well, obviously we need to cut their benefits. Uh, No, you don't. You could raise wages so that people work a full-time job and make enough money to survive. No, they never look at that end of the equation. I love how it's grandfathered into everybody's understanding that obviously we have jobs where you can work a full-time and work full-time and still not make enough money to survive. As if we all agree that that's an okay state of affairs. I don't agree. I don't agree. And I think the fact that nobody else brings it up is freaking insane. Why am I the only one bringing that point up over and over? I don't understand it. Now, credit to Martha Raddatz there, who did say, well, we have a study, and it shows that what you're saying is not really the dynamic that's happening. He's saying, oh, you're disincentivizing all these people from working. She's saying, no, there's a Yale study that says that's not true. That if anything's disincentivizing people from working, it's the pandemic and the fact that 150,000 Americans are dead and millions more are getting the virus. Maybe that's what's stopping people. Have you considered that? But then he goes back and cites the a Chicago study. Just for those of you who don't know, citing a Chicago study is like saying, I found a couple of Austrian economists and far right-wing economists who say that is what's going on. Well, of course you did, because these are people who already have their mind made up. They're not actually going to follow the empirical data. They're working backwards from their conclusion, which is any government benefits are bad by definition. So, but this shows you the mindset. This shows you the mindset of Steve Mnuchin, of Donald Trump. They're as elitist as it gets, man. But here's the main point. There's, if they keep going down this path, it's over, son. That, like, Donald Trump is going to lose in a historic landslide. Because you can't, in the middle of a pandemic and what is effectively a Great Depression, you can't willy-nilly, like, we're just, the benefits already expired, the unemployment benefits. And it, it's not like, you know, we got something that's taking its place or people will still be able to dip into their savings or whatever. No, the benefits are expiring. People can't pay their bills. 30 million Americans said, I didn't have enough to eat last week. 30 million. And now Steve Mnuchin is like, well, we haven't reached a deal yet. And then they left Washington, by the way. They all left Washington. Up oh, uh, summer vacation or something. They're gone. They left. It's, like, it's almost like Steve Mnuchin is trying to lose the election. Trump, he doesn't know what the hell is going on. Whoever walks in his office and talks to him last, whether it's the military industrial complex or Wall Street goons, he listens to them. I think that's great. I think you make a tremendous point. We're going to go in that direction with whatever you just said. Anyway, back to Fox News and tweeting. NASDAQ, all time high. He's, I mean, Biden doesn't have to say anything, doesn't have to do anything. If you cut off the last lifeline to the American people in the middle of a pandemic and a depression, you're going to lose. And you deserve to lose. And the amount of hurt that people are feeling now is incalculable. You, I literally cannot put it into words. They better get their, their ducks in a row, because if they don't, again, I, 
I fear what's going to happen in this country. You cannot have this widespread poverty, this many people who can't afford to pay their bills. Because, you know, at this point, it's beyond obvious that the problem is not we have some lazy people who are immoral and unethical and don't want to work hard. Even to your most hardcore, ardent, far-right winger who believes in the myth of American meritocracy, even they look at this state of affairs and go, well, that's obviously not the problem. The problem isn't that people are lazy or immoral or unethical or unethical. Did I say unethical? That's not a word. Unethical. The problem is that the economy imploded as a direct result of the pandemic. And now we have a depression. So since it's not their fault, the government can't just say, you're done, we're going to cut you off, and you're on your own. They can't do that. They can't do it. Especially when the American people see what happened with corporate America. They see the CARES Act. They see the $5 trillion that Steve Mnuchin handed out in welfare to giant corporations. They see that. So hold on. They get a bailout. The corporations get socialism. And I can't even get a measly $600 extra in, in unemployment benefit, which I desperately need to pay my bills. And even with that, it's not enough money. You know, I've said many times that I think we, we're not going to have a revolution in this country, namely because we have so many amazing distractions. There's so many things that keep us occupied elsewhere, whether it's Netflix, video games, all, you know, modern accoutrements. Like, those things really do prevent total social decay because we're so rigidly individualistic in this country that there's not much organizing. But having said that, man, is that theory really being tested now? Because if you're ever going to see some sort of real violent upheaval, we're already seeing some of it with the George Floyd protests, but that could be nothing compared to what's coming next. Go ahead, try to make it so that 50% of the country can't pay their bills, and then see how long the country lasts. See how long everything functions smoothly. Again, we're already seeing stuff not function smoothly because of the pandemic and because of the civil unrest from the George Floyd protests. Boarded up stores, everything. So many people losing their jobs. It's going to get a hell of a lot worse if Washington doesn't get their act together right now and help the American people who desperately need it. Okay. All right. On this same topic, I got a video for you. In New Orleans, there was an anti-eviction protest. I want to show you part of it here.
I don't know why, but that guy walking by at the end there, he reminded me of Biden. I mean, he's obviously not Biden, but something about him reminded me of Biden. I'm not sure what it was. But um, so they're blocking the courthouse. They weren't letting anybody in. And what we have right now in the U.S. is a a weird system where you have different states and and cities and localities with different rules when it comes to uh, evictions and foreclosures. There was the temporary ban on it for COVID-19. I think the federal one ran out. I don't know if they re-upped it. But you do have this weird system of a bunch of patchwork where some states, some cities have anti-eviction protections for now because of the pandemic still, which is, you know, ripping through this country. So here are the states that have no measures or moratoriums at all. Again, federal ban has either gone away or is going away. Um, And here are the states that are just like, you're on your own. Alabama, Arkansas, Kansas, Louisiana, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Georgia, Idaho, and West Virginia. Now, remember, we covered the story the other day, that amazing graphic from CNBC. 59% of renters in West Virginia can't pay their rent. 59%. Tennessee's on this list as well. 55% in Tennessee. And you go state by state there, everybody's in that ballpark. You know, again, the lowest number was Vermont, and it was 22%, which is still nearly a quarter of the renters in Vermont can't pay the bills. Most places are between, like, 35% and 50%. Can't pay their rent. Can't do it. So the people are being failed by their politicians at every level, at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level. People are just being failed by their politicians. Because here we have a situation, it's a historic housing crisis, the likes of which we've never seen. Because it's a direct result of the pandemic and the economic implosion. So this is not the fault of any individuals. But all these people are going to lose their houses. All these people are are going to get kicked out. They can't make the rent. In the middle of a pandemic? Again, people don't understand what they're asking for. The government doesn't understand what they're asking for. These George Floyd protests are just a warm-up because it's going to get a hell of a lot worse if nearly 50% of the country's renters can't pay the bills. So what do you expect? But listen, direct action is the best way, and this is direct action. Now, we're going to cross a bridge eventually where it's not just an amalgamation of states that have no protections. We're going to cross a bridge eventually where every state in the country, every state in the country, has no more anti-eviction protections. And when that happens, oh my God, I don't know what we're going to see, but it ain't going to be pretty. At the very least, it's going to be protests. Very likely there will be riots as well. Um, There will be whatever party's in power will get so wiped out from coast to coast, it'll be probably historic. It'll probably be a historic landslide. And, um, but what will the next government do? Which is the terrifying part because, okay, what do you have? You either have Republicans or you have the diet Republicans, the corporate Democrats. And we get this sense that no matter what, they're not going to do anything for us. 
which is why the direct action is so necessary. But of course, you have the complicating factor of it's still a pandemic. So when you do direct action, you're putting yourself at risk and you're putting others at risk. So we're really just caught in between a rock and a hard place in a way that I don't think we've ever been in U.S. history. But make no mistake about it. This is totally inexcusable, the current system. How can it be that the government just threw money at the problem endlessly? But where did the money go? It went to corporations. That's the CARES Act. $5 trillion at the discretion of Goldman Sachs lackey Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. He's just going to give it to the corporations who he's buddy-buddy with. Of course that's what he's going to do. This is where the money went. So unless, I don't know if you're keeping track here, but every year we have a record military budget, bigger than the next 10 biggest countries combined, bloated beyond belief. Every year we have a military budget like that. How many times have we done the Wall Street bailouts, even previously? And now, as a direct result, of COVID-19, the corporations get bailed out, and by the way, they turn around and fire people anyway. This is what happened with Boeing. Give them billions of dollars. They say, thank you so much. We needed this in order to keep functioning. Then they turn around and fire people anyway. No, but the money was given to you under the assumption that you wouldn't fire people. Well, guess you should have made that terms, huh? And they didn't make it terms. You want to know why? Because politicians are working for the corporations. They're not working for you. Look at what the market was propped up with a trillion dollars of liquidity per day from the Federal Reserve. By the way, isn't that curious? When the Federal Reserve pumps the stock market with an influx of cash, it's called quantitative easing. It sounds official, doesn't it? All that is is welfare for the stock market. But why does it sound so official? When you get a check in order to pay your bills, do they say the government is doing quantitative easing for you? No, they say you're you're getting an entitlement benefit and it's welfare. So when you get it, it's got the pejorative connotation. When corporations get it, it's got the official sounding name. We're pumping liquidity into the marketplace, pumping liquidity and capital into the marketplace through quantitative easing. See, that's, it's a way, the lingo is a way to try to normalize corporate socialism as they don't do socialism for the people. And so we're in a situation where nearly half the country can't pay their rent. 20% real unemployment, the people who still have jobs are taking giant pay cuts, the economy is imploding, and President Numbnuts is bragging about the NASDAQ. And all the bailout bills are top-heavy. Why is it there's never a bailout bill that's bottom-heavy? Why does that never happen? Why is it never, oh, we bailed out the, uh, the homeowners and the renters? We bailed them out. All they do is give you a measly $600 extra unemployment benefit, and then it expires immediately, And then they blame you and tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say you're lazy and you're not going back to work because of that. Ain't no laziness involved here, son. This is the U.S. economy imploding. Is the argument that, like, over 100 million people woke up one day and were like, now we're going to be lazy and immoral and unethical and not work? Is that what happened? Or is it the pandemic and the subsequent depression? And it's no fault of their own, but the government is still sitting around doing nothing for the people. Buckle up, man. This unrest is going to get unreal. Because people are in dire straits like they've never been before. So we're just, this is just a warm-up act. Even these anti-eviction protests. These things are going to spread. And I'll tell you this. The government needs to pull an FDR. If they don't pull an FDR, Lord knows what will happen. Because you know what FDR did, right? 
FDR was effectively, in many ways, the savior of capitalism. Because he stepped in and said, I, if I don't massively redistribute the wealth, then you will have a socialist or communist revolution. Because the Great Depression made everything so volatile that it was, would, have been, would have been possible for you know, communism or socialism to take over the country. And so FDR stepped in and said, no, what we'll do is we'll redistribute the wealth, we'll do high taxes on the wealthy, we'll do the New Deal. And what this did is, it's like he stepped in and said, no, we're not going to do socialism or communism, we're going to do social democracy. And so it was like the midway point between the people and the ruling class. And, you know, I would argue that what he did worked phenomenally well. The New Deal worked phenomenally well. Also, it has to be said that in terms of the economic output, yes, World War II helped. Any Keynesian will tell you that. Um, but that we're in the same boat today. If you don't have massive redistribution of wealth, if you don't have genuine social democracy, if you don't have Medicare for all and the UBI, I don't know what's going to happen. But it's going to get ugly because it's already ugly. All right, I'm going to enjoy this next story because it is very, very, very unique. Eamon Bundy was a pretty big right-wing figure. He's the son of the rancher Cliven Bundy. Now, some of you listening to this segment, you, you know, You've been following the news long enough to remember this. So this happened in 2014. There was the Bundy standoff, as it was called. So we're going back, you know, six years now. Um, And the Bundy standoff was you had this, like, right-wing militia take over some federal building. And they did that because the government was trying to make them pay grazing fees because they had, you know, animals on on federally owned public land. But there was some sort of dispute because they wanted him to pay an arm and a leg and he didn't have that kind of money and he claimed it was his land. Look, it's a complex kind of thing. But the gist of it is you have these right wingers who are pro small government and they feel like big government was oppressing them by basically overcharging them to have, you know, their animals on federally owned land, there was a dispute over the land. Okay, so they took over forcibly a, a federal government building. Um, now, since this guy is, you know, kind of a big right wing figure, some people would think, well, obviously he's just going to side with the right in today's partisan divide. And the right in today's partisan divide would say, You know, um, we're pro-police and we are against these, you know, anarchists and looters and rioters and Black Lives Matter. Well, Eamon Bundy threw a little curveball out there. Watch this. Uh, Because I simply was going to go to a rally with the Black Lives Matter in support of defunding the police. Because, yes, the police need to be defunded. And anybody who don't understand that is just somehow must be, I mean, I, I'm trying not to be, you know, too poignant here, but must have a problem. You must have a problem in your mind. 
if you think that somehow the Black Lives Matter is more dangerous than the police, you must have a problem in your mind. If you think that Antifa is the one going to take your freedom, you must have a problem in your mind. You must not. You must be thinking. Uh, you know. You must be hypnotized by these uh, social media code words or by you know uh, conservative talk show hosts that basically put these keywords in your mind to to make it so that you think certain things about certain terms such as defund the police. No, defund the police is the correct thing to do. They become a huge authoritarian bureaucracy that will be the, the, the bureaucracy or the people that take away our liberty. They will be the ones to do that. And the only thing that's going to stop them is people uniting to stop them. That's it. I'm sorry. That's what's going to have to happen. But you patriots, if you, want, if you really want to call yourself that, somehow think that the law enforcement is your golden calf. And you do the same thing with many other things, such as the military, even when they're doing terrible things across the world. I'm not saying that everything they're doing and every person in it, don't get me wrong, are doing that. But there needs to be a defunding of government in general, and especially the police forces, because they're the ones that are actually going to seek and destroy us. That's amazing <laughs> oh that's so funny so i actually you know in a weird way i respect this i respect it because listen his position previously was i'm a small government conservative in fact i am an extremist on the side of small government so he's being principled and he's like okay what's the small government position what's the anti-government position the anti-government position is i'm with the protesters you know, the, the police are, they have bloated budgets, they're authoritarian, they exercise force way too much, they kill people who are unarmed, there's no excusing that. Um, you know, even definitely in the case with the federal officers, the federal officers, you know, they, um, they're coming totally uninvited, unannounced. States and localities are like, we don't want you here. And they're from the Department of Homeland Security and a border patrol, and they're throwing people in these uh, unmarked vans and stuff, and they're wearing camo outfits, but they're not really even showing who they are up front. So Eamon Bundy, who's a right-wing guy, is saying, listen, the right-wing position is anti-government. So I'm anti-government. Now, if that puts me in league with Black Lives Matter, so be it. So be it. So I respect this because um, you don't – it's unfortunate, but it's true. You don't get – many principled voices in the discourse these days. It's like whenever we talk about free speech issues, and sometimes that puts me with strange bedfellows who are like right-wingers who are, you know, using that issue for more cynical reasons. But you, you have to be principled. So if there is an instance of somebody who's on the right who's genuinely being censored or deplatformed or what have you, yes, you as a lefty should speak out in favor of that because it's the right thing to do because being free speech means even being for free speech for your enemies. And again, that's not a common thing these days. It, it's, much, it's much easier to just kind of go along with the crowd, and the crowd is whatever your side of the partisan divide is saying. And for this guy, I mean, he's going to get 
zero love over this. Every single person is going to hate on him. Um, in fact, I'm probably the only one even on the left who's going to give him credit because many people on the left are going to say to him, well, you were the guy from the 2014 freaking terrorist takeover of the federally owned lands. Like, so you're a right-wing extremist, so of course we're against you. Listen, in probably most ways, I'm against this guy. But I just think, I think it's respectable that at least he's being principled and saying, I don't care who this puts me in league with. I look at this on an issue-by-issue issue basis. And that's the thing. If you take anything away from this show, I don't know how long you've watched it for or whatever, but if you take anything away from this show, it's don't be afraid to think about things on an issue-for-issue issue basis. Because that's the only logical way to think about stuff is an issue-by-issue issue basis. And if it just so happens that every now and then you got some strange bedfellows as a result of that, so be it. You know, the funny thing is, I don't even fully agree with them. Like, I don't even fully agree with them. I've been critical of the defund the police slogan. Now, I get it. Uh, I think there's a lot of, like, there's a, many people on the right who straw man the idea of defund the police, and they, they don't really want to try to understand it. Since it sounds extreme, they just want to say, it's definitely extreme, and that's the end of the conversation. I don't want to be flippant or glib or smug about it, um, but I do think that it, we should acknowledge that there is a place for police, and we just need to make sure that the training is correct, the funding levels are correct, and they're only going after the things that they should be going after, like real crimes, like rape and, and you know, uh, assault and grand larceny and murder and manslaughter. Like, if you had the police do the things that we all agree they should be doing, go after the crimes that we all agree are the most egregious crimes, and don't go after anybody for nonviolent offenses, don't harass people, don't oppress people, don't over-police communities of color and poor communities, well, then I would be totally pro-police. I, of course I would be. Um, so the funny thing is, I don't even really agree completely with Eamon Bundy on this, but I just I wanted to do this segment to point out how interesting it is that now we hear somebody who's pretty principled on the right who's saying, no, I still believe in the anti-government position, even though today, you know, it, it, makes, me, um, it makes me a very lonely guy. Because there's no doubt about it, he's a lonely dude at this moment. Now, I will get to a story later on. Oh, you guys are going to love this. It's the exact opposite of Eamon Bundy. It's Fox News back then talking about a federal crackdown versus Fox News today talking about a federal crackdown. Complete 180 on their position, like literally using polar opposite arguments, just complete contradiction, they don't even bother to try to take the rough edges off or square the circle. No, it's just a mess. And it's like, yeah, whatever, six years ago, six years ago, today's today. There's a different occupant in the White House, and that's all I need to know. That's it. So um, Fox News is effectively the anti Eamon Bundy, um, and they look way more ridiculous as a result of it. But, hey, I'm sure that this guy these days is – I can't – I'm sure he lost a zillion followers on whatever social media platforms he had. I'm sure he's been threatened as a result of it. Because being somebody on the right and saying anything positive about Black Lives Matter or saying anything anti-police in the context of the police cracking down on left-wingers, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're immediately, you know, an enemy now to a lot of these right-wing hacks. So, anyway, I thought that this was interesting. Credit to Eamon Bundy for 
being a man of his word and, and standing by his, uh, his anti-government principles. These are not even necessarily principles that I agree with, but it is refreshing every now and then when you do see somebody in the conversation having principles. Okay. Let me do one more, then we'll take a break. I got an eyelash in my eye, which sucks. There's a new poll out on Medicare for All, and um, we just keep winning in terms of public opinion. 69% of Americans want Medicare for All, including 46% of Republicans. Sixty-nine percent. First of all, nice. Second of all, no, seriously, that's like an overwhelming number. That's sixty-nine percent is a gargantuan number when it comes to politics. Nearly half of Republicans. Now, by the way, there was a poll previously that had fifty-one percent of Republicans supporting Medicare for all. So this one's a little bit lower. But still, you're in the range of 50%. Now, you ready for this when it comes to Democratic voters, regular, run-of-the-mill, average Joe and Jane Democrats? 88%. That's nearly 9 in 10 Democratic voters say, of course I want Medicare for all. Now, you might be thinking, well, okay, but... Obviously, when it comes to those, you know, those cherished independents that we need for the general election, they don't support it, and that's why the party has to not support it, right? 68% of independents support Medicare for All. So let me run through this for you one more time. 46% of Republicans support it, nearly half. 88% of Democrats support it. 68% of independents support it. And 69% of the entire country supports it. And yet the Democratic Party just overwhelmingly voted against Medicare for All in the Democratic platform. And the Republicans, don't even get me started on them, they're, not only are they not in favor of Medicare for All, they're not in favor of a public option, they're not in favor of Obamacare, they're not in favor of Dickie McGee's act. We got tens of millions of people hemorrhaging their health care, and their response is, So you got the Republican Party and the Diet Republican Party, the far-right party and the center-right party. This is what we have in this country, to the point where they're open about telling the American people to piss right off. These numbers are unbelievable. These numbers are unreal. Now, this begs the question, well, how, how do we get to this place? How do we have a, a system that tells virtually everybody in the country to piss off in terms of what they believe when this is supposed to be a constitutional republic and a representative democracy. Representative democracy, and they're not representing you. Well, guys, you know, we've been over this a thousand times, and you all know the answer, but I have to bring it up again for you. They're not representing you. They're representing corporate interests. So the reason why the overwhelming majority of the Democratic leadership said hell no to Medicare for all Go check their funding. See how much money Big Pharma gave them. See how much money the for-profit health insurance companies gave them. 
They gave them a lot of money. And they did that on purpose. It's not like they're giving them that money because they happen to agree with them on some social issues like gay marriage. No. These are rapacious, amoral corporations. They're giving them that money because they're expecting favors in return. If I fund your campaign, then you have to do stuff for me. What are those things? Give them giant subsidies, for example. Deregulate the for-profit insurance market. Let them continue to price gouge. Let them continue to kick people off of their health care. We have a system that's run by the mafia. You have this unnecessary middleman in between you and your doctor that robs you. And then that unnecessary middleman controls the politicians who set the rules. So do you understand what's going on here? This is a mafia system. Whenever anybody comes to you talking about choice, just understand that the real argument they're making is, I want to give you a choice as to which mafia is going to price gouge you and rip you off and get in between you and your doctor. Which mafia do you want screwing you? Do you prefer the Irish mafia? Do you prefer the Italian mafia? What mafia do you want ripping you off? You have to pick a mafia because we're all about choice. Well, I would like no mafia. I would like no for-profit middleman stealing money from me. I would like it so that if I'm sick, I get help and I don't have to reach into my wallet. I would like to catch up to every other developed country on earth. So we got all this tax money that can go towards a bloated, gigantic, imperialistic military budget, and it could go to Wall Street bailouts, but we can't give, give everybody health care? We can't afford to give everybody health care. Of course we can. We've made a choice not to do it. we made a choice because the system is corrupt. The people want it. The system says no. By the way, it would also save money. That's a nice little fact to add at the cherry on top here at the end of this segment. It would also save money. Trillions of dollars over a decade. Why? Because when you get rid of the for-profit middleman, you tend to save money. There's nobody skimming. And all, like everything that I'm saying right now, you know it's true. Everybody knows it's true if they watch it, and they know even the tiniest amount about politics. But what I'm saying right now is, I mean, you are viewed immediately as an extremist, radical, crazy person in the polite decorum, civility circles of Washington, D.C., good sir. They, they look at me like, well, he's right, but he's also wrong and crazy. And so you have the majority of Democratic leaders, the majority of the DNC, everybody surrounding Joe Biden. It's, don't talk about any of that. We're going to support this criminal system while pretending like we want to mildly improve it around the edges and pat ourselves on the back and say, we're so much better than Trump and the Republicans. Yes. There are 45,000 people who die every year because they don't have access to basic health care. Medical bills is one of the top causes of bankruptcy. What if we lowered that number instead of 45,000 deaths from lack of health care? What if we made it 40? We saved 5,000 lives. Don't say anything about the other 40. This is the system. This is the system. And there's a reason why you have so many young lefties have just as much disdain for the Democratic Party as the Republican Party. 
is because there's something extra gross about when they pretend to be holier than thou, and really they're only for like 5% or 10% better change. Because at least the sense you get from the Republicans is they're more honest in their savagery. Like, yeah, fuck off. But I'll just say it, fuck off. Where the Democrats are like, no, don't fuck off. We're going to help you, but not really. I'm such an amazing person. Can I go on Ellen? Can I go on Ellen? Ugh. I hate all this shit. It's so gross. Ugh. So many people. Everybody wants it. Everybody wants Medicare for all. See, this is what happens when, and credit to Bernie for raising awareness on this issue, because this is what happens when you teach the American people just how screwed over they're getting. Like, oh, just so you know, other countries, you get sick, you go to the doctor, there's no bill, you're good money, it's done, it's taken care of. What? What do you mean? It comes out of your taxes. Our taxes go to war and Wall Street bailouts. Their taxes go to health care. We could do that. Wouldn't it be nice? Never get a medical bill again? Never worry about paying a premium again? It'd be glorious. But the entire system is blocking it. Okay. Let me take a break. When we come back, we got a lot more. Trump wants to ban TikTok. We're going to talk about that. And I will get into Louis Gohmert and a bunch of other stuff. Stay right there. We'll be right back.
Alright, bitch, I'm back. Cut the music off. Cut the music off. Okay. So where were we? Um, let's talk about TikTok and what Trump is trying to do. So President Trump wants to ban TikTok because of its connection to China. Um, the Democrats responded. Here's what Chuck Schumer said. to TikTok, I was one of the first to expose the Chinese links, and I have urged that TikTok be closed down in America. I feel like Republicans can say anything, and Democrats would kind of tag along and be like, uh, yeah, well, well I, I, I agree. <laughs> wow, thank you, Chuck. We really appreciate it. So listen, it's hard to take anything that these people say seriously. Why? Because the idea is, oh, my God, TikTok has connections to the Chinese government. The Chinese government is bad, so they're, like, data mining everybody, and that's a terrifying situation. From the same people who brought you the Patriot Act. The same people. So what they want is, well, we can't have the Chinese government illegally spying on you. That's obviously just for the American government to do. See, this is what I mean. I can't, it's so hard for me to take these people seriously because they're so selective in what they choose to get outraged over and act like. So this is, this is beyond the pale, clearly egregious. You know, we have to do something now, but they also re-up the Patriot Act every single time it comes up, which, of course, has illegal spying on all Americans and, and metadata collection. By the way, it goes beyond that, too. Donald Trump signed a bill uh, that had either a 6% or a 9% approval rating. It was literally a record for the lowest approval rating ever for a bill being signed. And basically that bill made it so that corporations can now take your data and sell it to other corporations without your approval. In the past, they would have needed your approval. Now they don't. So these are the people who are like, oh, my God, what if the Chinese government's, like, collecting data on our people? What, what if that's happening? But you literally green-lighted corporations, rapacious corporations doing that, and you green-lighted the NSA and the CIA and the FBI and our intelligence agencies doing that. So the idea that, like, they're looking out for our best interests, I just fi- find utterly absurd. And then there's also this other angle to it, which is, listen... You can't just, like, ruin a bunch of people's lives all willy-nilly like this. Like, there are a lot of people on TikTok, they're probably, you know, influencers, even though I hate that word, on TikTok, who, that's their living. Now, I don't know anything about them. They might be good people, bad people, whatever. I don't know. I don't care, okay? But I hate this, like, pull the rug out from underneath you type of crap. This is the same stuff that happened, you know, with YouTube, with, um the adpocalypse, as we called it. And this is the same thing that happens when they just, they'll decide, they decide one day, like, oh, uh, let's just tweak the algorithm and screw over certain channels. And it's like, they just massively impact the lives of people who've done nothing wrong. And they do it because they think it's for this, like, greater good thing. And it's like, actually, no, you're just making it a lot worse. Thank you very much. Now, the, the 
potential upside of this is that the discussion now is to force TikTok and what, whoever the Chinese investors are to force them to sell to Microsoft. So if TikTok is still around and it's just owned by a different company, I guess that's fine. But like the holier than now shit, I just, I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of it because you're not holier than now. You're not even close to holier than now. And the, probably the mo- most important point is, why are we talking about TikTok? 32% of the country couldn't make their July housing payment. We went over the numbers. Nearly 60% of people in West Virginia can't pay their rent. 55% in Tennessee. You name the country, and it's over 20, or the country, excuse me, the state, and it's over 22% of renters in that state who can't pay the bills. The $600 unemployment benefit just ran out. Guys, you really want me to sit here and go through all of the facts about how terrible our system is right now, our 20% real unemployment, people with jobs are taking a 20% pay cut, the economy's imploding, we got 150,000 deaths from COVID and climbing fast now because millions of people have the virus, and you're talking about TikTok. You're talking about TikTok? Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you people? Oh my God. Why is everything so broken and so corrupt, but also on top of all that, so stupid? It'd be one thing if we had a broken and corrupt system, but there were some, like, mastermind geniuses running it. They're not. They're a bunch of idiots. I think TikTok's real bad, and you got China, and China's bad, and TikTok and the government of China, they're going to look at everything we do and not go, oh, no, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, take action. Take action now. So that's something we got to work on immediately. Go, 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 fix that. But when it comes to, like, what will be in two or three months, half the country being unable to pay their bills. <laughs> we're, going on, we're going on summer break real quick, and then we'll be back, and then we'll think of the thing with the thing. And Okay, so the $600 unemployment benefit ran out, and people are screwed, and even more people can't pay their bills, and you got, you're going to have a homelessness crisis. 28 million Americans could lose a roof over their head. 30 million Americans struggled to afford food last week. But we're going to act on TikTok right now. And then we're going to go on summer, uh, summer vacation. I, I'm at a loss for words. I'm at a loss for words. All right, next. Louis Gohmert, you guys have probably been waiting for this story. So Louis Gohmert was diagnosed with COVID-19, um, and of course, he was all around, you know, Congress without a mask, and um, he, was, he was literally in committee hearings sitting next to people, had COVID the whole time. It, I mean, just, it's just a mess. Now, by the way, I saw an article the other day. I don't know if the numbers have changed since then, but it was like seven Republicans and three Democrats who tested positive for COVID. Um, some of them are asymptomatic, but others, I think, have symptoms. I don't know who. Um, but Louis Gohmert was interviewed after he got his diagnosis, and you'll never guess what he blamed for it. I can't help but think that 
if I hadn't been wearing a mask so much in the last 10 days or so, uh, I really wonder if I would have gotten it. But I know, you know, moving the mask around, getting just right, I'm bound to put some, some uh, virus on the mask that I sucked in. That's most likely what happened. Homeboy blamed his COVID diagnosis on a mask. First of all, most of the time he wasn't wearing a mask. He wasn't wearing it. But he's saying, oh, I probably got COVID. It was the times that I did wear a mask. And what I would take the thing off, and then obviously when I take it off, there's virus on the mask, and so I breathe in the virus from the mask. So really, if I didn't wear a mask, I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have gotten it. Have you ever heard something so stupid that you don't even know how to respond to it? Like, that's so stupid, I don't even know what to say back. You do know it is overwhelmingly more likely that you caught it when you weren't wearing a mask, Right? That, that is what all of the empirical data and the science shows, is that masks work. At, at, at the very least, it's, it's risk mitigation, where you greatly reduce the likelihood that you get it if you wear a mask. So the real takeaway should be, damn, I should have never been anywhere in public, never been anywhere inside with other people where I wasn't wearing a mask. Literally the day before he got the diagnosis, he was at a committee hearing without a mask, surrounded by people. I, I also saw a headline the other day, Nancy Pelosi now enforces, um, you know, uh, universal masks when you're in the house. And I was reading it and I was like, you didn't have that already? The pandemic became like the huge story in like early March. And you didn't, in Congress, with a bunch of old idiots, you didn't, you didn't already have that. It took you until now. Just, just so everybody understands, it's not, you can be forgiven for thinking Congress is full of corrupt people, but really they're effectively the planners of society, so they're evil geniuses screwing us from their ivory towers. No. The reality is they are corrupt, they are screwing us, but they're also monumentally ignorant and stupid. And you would be surprised. Things that you would think are just not in the realm of debate or discussion or that's already settled, no. There are plenty of people, many of them in Congress, who would debate you on it, whatever it might be. Evolution? Evolution. <laughs> they will debate you on evolution. Climate change? I'm sure Louis Gohmert is believes in Adam and Eve. Not only am I convinced he, he believes in Adam and Eve, he'll go a step further and say, he's definitely said in his life the sentence, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. He has unquestionably said that at some point in his life. And he's the type of guy to blame masks for a virus spreading.
you guys know my theory, my theory of TFGs, as we call them. TFGs stands for Too Far Gones. Louis Gohmert is one of those TFGs, and every time he opens his mouth, he proves it. One of my favorite Louis Gohmert moments was when he was on the floor of the house ranting against um, Barack Obama because he said Barack Obama wanted to bring back the Ottoman Empire. What? How does that even, how did that make sense in his mind? What does he think that he's like, Obama is like secretly Turkish and he wants to the Ottoman Empire? Or that he has some sort of an alliance with Erdogan and wants Erdogan to resurrect it? I, I don't know what's going on in his mind. Nobody knows what's going on in his mind. Nobody does. One of my favorite old secular talk videos was a compilation of Louis Gohmert being stupid for, like, you know, however many minutes on end it was. Just vi- different clips of him saying things that are just so stupid. Um, this clip could definitely be added to that as well. All right, next. This is something that I've been itching to talk about. I think this is actually really interesting. There's a new ad campaign started by a bunch of lefties, and it's called Settle for Biden. So the idea is pretty self-explanatory. They have all these different ads, and there really are a lot of them, some of them have, um, have Noam Chomsky, and it says, like, well, he's settling for Biden. Why can't you? Uh, another one has Angela Davis, and it says, you know, something very similar. Um, a lot of the ads actually acknowledge Biden's terrible record. A lot of the ads that I've seen have acknowledged his terrible record. So for me, you know, whenever I talk about Joe Biden and the many ways in which he let the country down. You know, he supported NAFTA, supported the Patriot Act, supported the Iraq War, wrote the crime bill. There, there are many specific things that you can point to where you say, this is just inexcusable. There's also weird stuff that Biden has done, which is just like, why? One of the things he was big on trying to ban raves at some point in like the late 80s or 90s. Just a mess. It's just just ridiculous. Anyway, so, you know, you're never going to convince somebody like me to support Biden if you serve me a plate of dookie and say it's a fudge brownie. Like, you have to, you have to be honest, and you have to be like, yeah, it's a plate of dookie. Nina Turner made a great point the other day. She said, voting for Biden is like eating half a plate of shit. Now, people can be all outraged about that and get mad at Nina Turner, but she did say pretty clearly that, like, well, Trump would be the full plate of shit and Biden is the half a plate of shit. So it's an honest, it's an honest thing to say. Now, people can have different interpretations about what to do with the fact that it's a plate of shit and half a plate of shit, but I think the thing that triggers people on the left the most is when you don't acknowledge that that's the situation. 
you, you don't acknowledge that indeed we are in a situation where it's nothing but terrible options and it's just a matter of how do we make the least terrible option. So there are plenty of people who just are overreaching and are bullshitting you in the process of making a case for Biden, where they act like he's an imperfect friend. That's the one that probably rubs me the wrong way the most. Um, so I have to say, in some ways, in some ways, I actually kind of respect this ad campaign. I do. In some ways, I respect it, because at least it's honest. And it is kind of an argument that has a higher likelihood of working on people who are truly on the left, because you're not lying. You're not lying. Now, I will say this as well, though, and this is where they should have been a little bit more strategic. There are some ads in the ad campaign that I really hate, and I hate them because they're wrong. So um, one, there's one ad that got under my skin, which basically says that like Biden is for racial justice and, and Trump isn't. He, Biden's not for racial justice. You can't make such a case. That's just not, even to this day, he's, he doesn't want to legalize marijuana and free the nonviolent drug offenders. So if he doesn't want to legalize marijuana, can you really say he's for racial justice when the drug war is racist and disproportionately used to crack down on people of color? I don't think you can make that case. If, if it is true that mass incarceration is the new Jim Crow, then you cannot say he can fuel that mass incarceration and be for racial justice. So that, there's one ad that's BS. But the one that was the worst, honestly, was um, shaming Green Party voters and basically saying that, like, a vote for the Green Party is a vote for Trump and Republicans. That's just empirically not true, and it's the same kind of gross tactics that corporate Democrats use, and it's going to make people on the left hate you. It's just not true. You know what a vote for the Green Party is? A vote for the Green Party. Now, you could say, oh, my God, you're taking away a vote from Joe Biden if you do that. But you're just assuming that everybody who votes for the Green Party would otherwise vote for Joe Biden. That's not true. You'd have to poll them. You'd have to ask them. And just like we saw with Jill Stein in the 2016 election, when you polled Jill Stein voters and asked, who would you vote for if you couldn't vote for Jill Stein? If I'm not mistaken, most of them said, I would stay home. I would stay home. Then you had a small percentage of them said they would vote for Trump. And then you had, I believe the number was about 20% or maybe 22% that said they would have voted for Hillary. So if you argue, if you're nuanced and you argue, hey, the 22% of Jill Stein voters would have gone for Hillary if Stein dropped out, it, that's an honest point. And I could say, okay, you're right, but that's not enough to, to tilt the election. So it's not... It's not this own that you think it is. Like, oh, if you vote for the Greens, you're just handing over power to the Republicans. No, you're not. That's just not true. Um, but they're not even doing that. They're not being specific about it. They're not citing poll numbers because my guess is you'd see a similar thing these days where if somebody votes for Howie Hawkins and the Green Party and then you poll them, hey, who would you vote for if it wasn't Howie? My guess is you'll see a similar breakdown. You'll see that most of them would have stayed home. So those are not Biden votes. A small percentage of them would have went for Trump not Biden votes, and maybe 20% would have voted for Biden. Um, so I just, it's so weird that you have this ad campaign that I, the idea of it, I actually respect because it's like, okay, we're not going to lie to you, but we're going to tell you why we think you should still do this, why we think you should still vote for Biden. I respect that. That's fine. Make that case. 
I think there's something refreshing about somebody who is is pro-Biden, but they're not lying to themselves or lying to other people about it. That's cool. Um, but as soon as you cross the line into this kind of stuff where you're shaming Green Party voters, well, then, like, the whole point of the settle for Biden thing is gone because you're making the same shitty arguments as corporate Democrats and neoliberals. And that ad is effectively completely untrue, and it's a smear to say, if you vote for the Green Party, you vote for Republicans. And uh, so therefore, it's trying to twist their arm, which is the exact same thing that the corporate Democrats do. You're trying to force them, twist their arm, smear them, shame them into voting for Biden. That's never going to work. So while I actually like the idea, the sale for Biden thing, at first I thought it was a joke. It turns out it's real. Um, they need to be more strategic and intelligent in how they make their pitch. Because you're just going to turn people off to it the second that you try to smear them or shame them. If your role is we're going to be the honest people, we're going to be the honest ones who are pro-Biden, then really fulfill that role. Be honest and pro-Biden. Admit every flaw, every downside, while still having smart, intelligent arguments as to why you think he's enough of a lesser evil where it truly is merited to vote for him. Because that is definitely a defensible position. Um, but yeah, they just they went too far with the, the Green Party shaming. I am not on board with voter shaming. I'm not on board with smearing. Um, that's why every time I talk on this show, and by the way, that cuts every direction, just so you know. Because there are a lot of people who say, oh, I'm anti-voter shaming. And then they'll shame somebody who's voting for somebody else that they're not voting for. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Even people on the left who say I'm not pro-voter shaming, and then they'll voter shame a Biden voter. And it's like, well, you just said you're not pro-voter shaming. Does that only mean when people voter shame you? I'm actually principled in that. I don't think it makes sense to voter shame. I think you should craft arguments and, and make your point clear and base it on the evidence and on the records. And I feel like it's always a cheap, lazy, easy way out to just kind of throw your hands up and start throwing accusations at people and getting mad that they don't already agree with you. Um, and even though I like the ad campaign, they really needed to get rid of that Green Party ad. They really need to not ever BS, and it is BS to say Biden's for racial justice. Do the settle for Biden thing and keep it in the vein of what it should be, which is completely honest and open about all of his downsides and all of his flaws. But you can have, like, there are very specific areas where there is zero equivalence between the two. And that's what you should lean into if you're doing a settle for Biden thing. If you really want to lean into the things where he's better, I mean, first and foremost would have to be the Paris Climate Agreement. Biden would put us right back in the Paris Climate Agreement. He put us right back in there. And that's, you know, that's huge for the issue of climate change. There are very specific things you could point to where you're like, Biden will be better on this. So now we are going to lean into this thing specifically. There's no question that Biden would be better on the issue of Iran. Him and Obama did the Iran deal. Okay, that was probably the best thing Obama did with the Iran deal. So if Biden tries to de-escalate with Iran, that's a wonderful thing. Lean into that. There's an area where he's clearly better. Clearly better. You honestly could lean into the fact that his picks will be centrist for the courts. Now, I hate centrism, and so does most of my audience, but it's better than the freaking far-right justices that Trump's appointing everywhere. There's no you know, debate on that. That's clear. You'd rather have a Merrick Garland than a Neil Gorsuch. You just, it's, it's true. Rather have Merrick Garland than Brett Kavanaugh, even though Merrick Garland would let us down in many ways. 
So there are areas where Biden is better. You have to make the case based on that and that alone and just total honesty and openness. So, but I don't know why I'm, gi- I'm giving them advice, but I don't even know why I'm giving them advice. Um, I actually, I do know I'm lying. I do know why I'm giving them advice. It was the closest thing to an honest pitch I've ever seen for Biden that it interested me. It interested me that it was like the kind of approach that actually does have a prayer of getting through to some on the left. Not you're never, there's some who you're never going to get. And that's just the nature of the way it works. It is what it is. But, you know, there are some who you will if you make good enough arguments. So let's see if they do it. Let's see if they actually adjust moving forward or if they kind of double down on, you know, the voter shaming and the few lies that they told about Biden. I'm not, there are many ads that are actually, I just think, flat out good. But, you know, there were some that were questionable, and those are the ones I explained. All right, next. Fox News completely flipped their position on federal crackdowns. Uh, The Daily Show put together what I think is an amazing compilation. You're going to see a bunch of different Fox hosts. What they said in 2014 when a Democratic president used federal authority to crack down on a particular movement versus 2020 when a Republican president is using federal authority to crack down on a particular movement. Watch this. effort to protect federal property in Portland. Portland now sending 100 more agents. Operation Legend is a beginning. It's greatly needed in all of these cities. I am having a hard time understanding why the government would create a confrontation like this. The government has gone way overboard here, and I think they need to pull back fast. The city of Portland has been under siege. Federal DHS and DOJ officers and agents have been deployed to keep the mobs in check. As we watch that estimated 200 federal agents and local law enforcement surround the ranch, the word of this evening is tyranny, as in they are arbitrary, unrestrained exercise of power. When somebody looks at lawlessness and says it's a local problem, you can do that to dismiss all bad behaviors. Even though there's some lawlessness involved here, it's, oh, you, the inclination is to be for the individual, even if the individual may have broken some laws. Federal authority is entering cities across the country right now in an effort to preserve uh, some degree of sanity. I think the sentiment is we are the federal government. We're entitled to do whatever we want. The government Russia. feels entitled to, this, to massive overreach over states' rights. When the DHS deployed federal law enforcement officials to protect the city's federal buildings, they were accused of, quote, Acting like an occupying army, the federal government needs to pull back. They need to think about what is the end game here. Are they willing to tase people, fight people? I saw one picture of a bloodied up woman, an elderly woman that was thrown to the ground. For more than a month, mobs of violent, crazy people have roamed this country, terrorizing citizens. It's the armed agents who are scarier. And so how could you look at this and say, Clive Bundy's the one who threatens America? 200 agents, snipers surrounding a ranch seems a little over the top to me. It's over the top. It's very strong. Yeah, I mean, the biggest variable that changed is who was in the White House. You know, when it was a a Democratic president, then any kind of 
federal crackdown is viewed as tyrannical, oppressive, wrong by definition. When it's Trump in the White House and Republicans, it's, um, you know, it's viewed as a necessary step to preserve law and order. So this is what Fox News is. Now, listen, I'm not, this is not apologetics for the other networks. I think CNN sucks, and I think MSNBC sucks. MSNBC does propaganda for the corporate Democrats. CNN um, just does propaganda for the entire establishment, elements of the right and the left. Um, but Fox News is the propaganda arm of the Republican Party, and that's beyond obvious. You know, this is, it reminds me of the story that we've talked about a bunch on this show, which is the dichotomy of Sean Hannity discussing the NSA spying under Bush versus Obama. That's amazing. When Bush was doing the NSA spying, he said this is to protect the country from terrorism, and it's something we absolutely have to do. When Obama continued that same program, it was, oh, my God, this is a giant infringement on your civil liberties and your rights, your protection from unreasonable search and seizure, your right to privacy, and it's government overreach, and it has to stop. Now, listen, I agree with the argument he made under Obama, but I think that also applied to the days of George W. Bush, too. But he was fine with it when it was George W. Bush. He was only against it when it was Obama doing it. So this is who he is. This is what he does. He's fundamentally the opposite of somebody who would look at politics on an issue-by-issue basis. He's, all he's doing is looking to push the narrative, push the argument for his team. That's who Sean Hannity is. He's partisan to his core, totally reactionary, totally thoughtless, kind of embarrassing, a rank propagandist who won't be remembered when he's gone in any positive way at all. I mean, it's just embarrassing. Not a serious political thinker. A joke. He's a joke. That's what he is. He's a joke. So, you know, listen, th- I, again, I implore everybody out there, ne- forget partisan considerations. Think about these things on an issue-by-issue basis. Um, and then, you know, you'll actually have a political identity and not one tied into what a team thinks or what, you know, your, your friends think. You want to actually believe things that are real and that matter and that are based on principle and evidence. And so it's just, it's so pathetic. And that was actually a great job. I'm not a fan of The Daily Show these days, but that was a great job that they, you know, basically dug up all that footage of all the different hosts. It's kind of amazing how across the board it is, how the narrative is just there no matter what. Um, So expect more of that moving forward. If Trump does something that a Democrat has already done, they will praise him for it, and vice versa. They'll attack a Democrat for doing something that Trump did. But they, they won't tell you the obvious truth. They won't tell you the obvious truth. The obvious truth is that both parties are deeply corrupt and corporate, pro-military industrial complex and therefore pro-imperialism. They won't tell you those things. They're going to try to put lipstick on a pig. MSNBC puts lipstick on the Democratic pig. Fox News puts lipstick on the Republican pig. And sometimes they get caught speeding. All right, next. You're going to enjoy this one. 
The Trump campaign has halted TV ads. That's surprising. This is campaign and disarray type stuff. So Fox News reported it. Take a look. Trump's re-election team taking a brief pause and running TV ads for a strategy review with 95 days to go until the election. The campaign has vastly outspent Democratic challenger Joe Biden to run TV and digital commercials. The Trump team, referring to the recent replacement of Brad Pascal as campaign manager, telling Fox News, quote, with the leadership change in the campaign, there is understandably a review and fine-tuning of the campaign strategy. We will be back on the air shortly, even more forcefully exposing Joe Biden as a puppet of the radical left wing. Biden is running spots this week in six key battleground states the president won in 2016, and saying spots are going up in Ohio, which the president also won in 2016, and where recent polls show a very close contest. So, There's only one reason why they would do this, and the reason is their ads aren't working. They have data that shows, if anything, the opposite. Their ads are hurting them. So that would mean there's some acknowledgement on some level that the strategy so far has been an an abysmal disaster. That's what this says. That's what all this says, okay? Um, Now... So given that set of facts, one would think, oh, it might actually be a good thing for them that they're pulling all the ads off and kind of regrouping. But here's the problem. There's a little hint in that clip that you just saw, which I think kind of proves that the, the new ads, whenever they come out, are going to be just as bad as the previous ads. What's the clue? They say, oh, we're going to continue exposing how Joe Biden is like a puppet of the radical left. So all the ads that were up were making that argument. They, and we played some of them on the show, and we discussed them in detail. You know, the, the, the grandma has a break-in and calls the police department, and the police department has an automated message that says, because we've been defunded, we can't get back to you. And the idea is like, oh, Joe Biden is going to defund the police, even though he's on the record as saying, I'm not going to defund the police. And he wrote the freaking crime bill, so if anything, he's too tough on crime. So the argument of Joe Biden is a Marxist Antifa puppet, that's not landing. If anything, it's having the opposite effect. And... They're pulling those ads, regrouping, but they just hinted that the new ads are going to have the same theme. We're going to continue exposing how Joe Biden is a puppet of the radical left. That's never going to work. It's amazing they haven't gotten this through their heads. The funny thing is, I think previously, in 2016 definitely, Trump had pretty good political impulses. I wouldn't ever use the word strategy for Trump because it's like, He's a little too simple to really think it all out, but his impulse was just, okay, I'm just going to hit Hillary where she's weak. Where is she weak? I don't know. The Clinton Foundation is corrupt. She supported all these outsourcing deals. She supported the Iraq war. She's a representative of the status quo in the establishment. I'm just going to hit on that over and over. Those things were potent. It worked. With Biden, see, now Trump has been in his own bubble for far too long. He's totally drunk on One American News Network and Fox News. 
He's, he's surrounded by military industrial complex people, Wall Street people, many of them with standard right-wing opinions. They could come out of the mouth of Sean Hannity or, or Rush Limbaugh. And so he lost the edge of having unique arguments like he used against Hillary. And now he's just going with the standard, any Democrats far left, and that's not good. Joe Biden loves Marx and Antifa. Oh, no, Joe Biden's going to bring in all this chaos. And he's making that argument as the U.S. is already in chaos and mayhem. There was an ad where they showed a clip of what happened in Minnesota, and they argued like, this is what will happen in Biden's America. It's happening right now in Trump's America. How do you not, how do you put that up and nobody calls it out and says, whoa, 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 whoa. That's your America. You can't accuse the other guy. He's not even in yet. You're accusing him of the thing that happened under you. So this, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And it's also, it's also not going to work because it's not true. Some of the arguments against Hillary were true. Some of them were BS, but some of them were true. This is not going to work. Donald Trump owns the pandemic. He owns the, the economy, which is in shambles right now, 20% real unemployment. He owns the fact that the extended un- unemployment benefits ran out and damn near 40, 50% of the country can't pay their rent. He owns that. doesn't matter how many times he's going, oh, my God, he's so extreme. You know what people are going to do? They're going to watch that and go, first of all, I don't think he is. But second of all, even if he is, who cares? We need extreme change. Look at the situation we're in right now. So it's, it's kind of been amazing to watch him like just totally lose every political instinct he ever had. And even now, they're going to pull down the ads to regroup. But they hinted the new ads are going to be just like the old ads. Biden's a freaking, you know what would be funny? Oh, my God, if they leaned into it even more. <laughs> they might do that. They pulled down these ads because they're not working. They might put up ads that are even worse than the original ads because they just said, we're going to keep exposing how Biden's a puppet of the radical left. I wish, dog, I wish. Imagine Biden was a puppet of me. Oh, that'd be amazing. We'd have Medicare for all. We'd have free college. We'd have a living wage. and We would fix this country. We'd pull out of the wars. Jesus Christ. Anyway, Trump's in total disarray. He's really... I mean, it's almost time to pound the gavel, dog. He's, he's getting waxington right now, and I see no signs of light. If you go read Trump's Twitter feed, um, I'm curious what all of you think, but the sense I get, especially this morning, this morning of the day that this segment is recorded, I don't know when it's actually hitting YouTube, but um, this morning he was just, it it smelled of desperation. In fact, as I talk to you guys, I'm just going to pull this up real quick and maybe read through some of them because I was watching, I was watching him tweet this stuff like, do you just look and sound and appear totally desperate? Like, he's just, every day is like, how can I try to limit the embarrassment that I'm feeling? So, um, here, I'll read some. My visits last week to Texas and Florida had massive numbers of cheering people 
gathered along the roads and highways, thousands and thousands, even bigger by far than the crowds of 2016, saw no Biden supporters, and yet some in the fake news said it was an equal number. Sad. All caps, he says. Fake news is the enemy of the people. Here's one that really got under my skin. Record high NASDAQ. <laughs> people are, get, are absolutely getting obliterated right now. You're bragging about the NASDAQ. It would all come crashing down, including your jobs, stocks, and 401ks, if Sleepy Joe ever became president. China and others would own us. And then this is the, like, the petty high schooler coming out here. He says, so crazy Nancy Pelosi said horrible things about Dr. Deborah Burks, going after her because she was too positive on the very good job we are doing on combating the China virus, including vaccines and therapeutics. In order to counter Nancy, Deborah took the bait and hit us. Pathetic. Like, bro, we have like 20% real unemployment. We have like 40% of the country can't pay their freaking housing bill. What are you doing? You're bitching because people are critiquing your handling of the pandemic while over 150,000 people are dead. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? You think people are going to cheer you? 150,000 plus dead. You think they're going to cheer you? Anyway, so listen, he's saying all this stuff. Every day now, you see a similar thing. It's a similar thing every single day where he just, he reeks of, of complete desperation. And so the other day, he tweeted something, which I'm going to show you here. And I think this is something, this is, this says quite a bit. So he says, I actually agree with this. Too much income disparity. Changes must be made, and soon. And he's responding to a Business Insider tweet that says, while 40 million Americans filed for un- unemployment during the coronavirus pandemic, billionaires saw their net worth increase by half a trillion dollars. So here's Donald Trump, the guy who's president of the United States, responding to some incredible information about how bad income and wealth inequality is getting. He's like, you know, I agree with this. Somebody should really do something about this, and soon. You're the president. You're the president. In 2017, you passed a tax law that exacerbated this problem. You had many people who are working people paid a higher effective tax rate than some billionaires. I remember covering the story. The 2017 tax law cut the top marginal rate. You know who that helps? Mega rich people. That's who that helps. He also cut the corporate tax rate from like 35% to 21%. 83% of the benefits of that tax bill went to the wealthy. And so the guy who exacerbated income and wealth inequality is like, you know, changes must really be made. And soon. Yeah, if only you were in a position of power where you could maybe do something about this. You know, I know you love executive orders. Why don't you craft a nice one that, you know, I don't know, it maybe is a billionaire's tax. There, there are ways to do executive orders that you can, yes, redistribute wealth. And if you don't want to do it through executive orders, then why are you not pushing the Republican Party in order to do something about it legislatively? 
you know you're the most powerful voice in the country, right? So what this is, this is Trump getting near the election and realizing he's massively down in the polls, and he's just throwing everything against the wall, hoping something sticks. And one of the things he stumbled across was, oh, yeah, I remember in 2016 I actually did, I pretended in some ways to be left on economic stuff, whether it was the trade deals. But there were other things too. There were like these very specific, I forget which one, they're very specific Wall Street taxes that he was like, I want to raise that. He even argued like, oh, I want to, I want to bring back Glass-Steagall because Glass-Steagall separated commercial banking from investment banking. It's a very important piece of regulation that prevented giant economic downturns. So he pretended to be in favor of bringing Glass-Steagall back, pretended to be in favor of some Wall Street taxes. Um, but guess what? Now he's been in office. He hasn't done anything to try to fix income and wealth inequality. He's made it worse at every single turn, at every single turn. And the other thing is, on top of just being desperate and strategy, throwing it against the wall, he hates Jeff Bezos. And in that picture, in that tweet, there's a, Jeff Bezos' face is right there. So, you know, if it's in the context of Jeff Bezos, yeah, he'll talk about it. we got to do something about this because he's so bad. But will he actually do anything about it? Of course not. Of course not. Standard, effectively, the way he governs is the way a standard establishment Republican governs. That's how Trump governs. On most issues, he's just a standard establishment Republican. And he's pretending, I can't believe income and wealth inequality is so bad. Something really needs to be done about this. Are you in favor of a living wage? No. Are you going to actually push to raise taxes on the rich? No, you cut taxes on the rich. So what are you doing? Where I'm from, this is called lying. He'd be all over it if this was something Hillary had said. Hillary pretending to care about fighting income and wealth inequality and exacerbating it, he'd be all over that. But when he does it, it's called a random Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever day of the week it was. I don't know what day he tweeted that. (laughs) But anyway, imagine being so much of a sucker now that you fall for this and you think, like, he's going to actually do something about Listen, I got no faith in Joe Biden. But I guarantee you Biden will be to the left of Trump on certain things like taxes. I guarantee you. I guarantee you he would be to the left of Trump on taxes. It's still going to be abysmal. It's still going to be not anywhere near enough. But he's already on record. You know, the, the, the tax plan, or excuse me, the tax policy we had was the corporate tax rate was 35%. Trump cut it to 21%. Biden wants to bring it back to 28%. Now, you could say, hey, that's neoliberal posturing right in the middle of the Republican position and the former position. Very true. But last time I checked, 28 was still above 21. Now, wasn't it? So will he push for this stuff? Well, that depends. It depends on where he wants to spend political capital. But I guarantee you, you cannot be as bad as Donald Trump on all these economic issues. Because everything he pretends to care about, he exacerbated the problem. Even the trade deals, which he made a big part of his campaign. In his first year in office, 93,000 jobs outsourced, which was an increase over Obama's final year where it was 87,000. So he's a fraud. And this tweet's another example of it. Okay. Now... 
we're going to talk about a new ad that hits Trump. Let's dive into it. So I have a new ad here that hit Trump on the issue of health care, um, and this went viral on Twitter. Now, this is from a group we've – I played you one ad from them previously. The name of the group is Midas Touch. Now, again, I'll just warn up front. I have no idea who these people are. Um, for all I know, they could be terrible corporate Democrats, but that's largely irrelevant. I want to play this ad for you, talk about the upsides and the downsides uh, when we come back. My first day in office, I'm going to ask Congress to put a bill on my desk. I hope we're going to surprise you with a really good plan. You're going to end up with great health care for a fraction of the price, and that's going to take place immediately after we go in, okay? Immediately. On my first day, you're going to be very proud of what we put forth having to do with health care. I know that we're all going to make a deal on health care. That's such an easy one. Form a really great plan. You've been in the office three and a half years. You don't have a plan. We haven't had uh, excuse me, you heard me yesterday. We're signing a health care plan within two weeks. A full and complete health care plan. I've been saying this for a long time. So the upsides of that are you're dealing with an ad that's focused on bread and butter issues. And one of the things that pisses me off the most about modern politics is everybody overcomplicates it. And they get too much into the weeds, too much into like these granular issues that people really don't follow closely unless you're a big time political junkie. Um, what you need to do is stick to things that appeal to all the normies. The second you lose your normie touch, you're useless in politics. And um, so if you're focusing on an issue like health care, everybody gets it, Everybody, because it impacts everybody. If you focus on health care, if you focus on the economy, honestly, war is another one of the things. If you focus on war, because a lot of people know people who've been sent to war, you know, we're wasting a lot of our tax money on it. So you need to stick with the bread and butter issues, um, because that's going to appeal to everybody, you're, you're even very likely to chip away at people who are part of the other party if you focus on the bread and butter issues. Um, so that's the upside of this. The other upside of it is I love when you dig up the things that he said because, yeah, he just talks shit all the time. And he, there's no accountability. Honestly, the media should be doing this kind of stuff where they say, hey, you said X and then you didn't deliver. You didn't even try. You didn't get anywhere near delivering like you said you would. So this is, that's important. And people very rarely go back and check what politicians have said and really hold them accountable. That's the other thing I like about this. Um, now, here's where the ad is slightly off. And I feel like this, this lack of the little bit of edge is a problem with um, many standard Democrats and their approach to politics. It's missing a little piece. The little piece is probably the most important which is instead of, instead of making the argument, oh, he has no plan, okay, you have to show what's actually happened. And under Donald Trump, before the coronavirus, you had 7 to 9 million Americans lose their health insurance. 7 to 9 million Americans. That's under Trump. 
Now, during and after coronavirus, there is no after, we're still in it. During coronavirus, um, over 20 million Americans lost their health insurance. Now, there's this thing from the New York Times that was going around where it's like 5.4 million or something like that, they're saying, lost their um, health insurance. That is a gigantic underestimate because they have um, the number I'm citing, the over 20 million number, that's from um, the Kaiser Family Foundation, which always does these kinds of health care polls. And this is people saying, yes, I lost health care. So I don't think that 5 million number is anywhere near accurate. I think it's way more than that, way more than that, because the real unemployment rate is over 20%. The real unemployment rate is over 20%, and we have health care in this country is attached to your job. So if 20% of people are unemployed, yeah, that's what's going to happen. You're going to have at least 20 million Americans. Surprise, it's not more. It might be more, and we just don't know the extent of it. But so under Trump, you've had about 30 million people or more lose their health insurance. So you could play the same clips of him, you know, saying the stuff that he said, but then show the headlines of 30 million Americans lose health insurance under Trump. Because the way they framed it was like, he said he was going to do X, he didn't do X, that's a problem. Okay, but the real way to frame it is, he said he was going to do X, he didn't do X. In fact, things got way, way worse. 30 million without health insurance. So that, that's what I would do. That's the argument I would go with. Um, see, they're, they're so close. Like, I feel like so many of these ads, they're so close, but they just come up short. Like, this is still a good ad. Don't get me wrong. It's focusing on health care, which is so important. Um, but it's just missing that one little edge, that one little fact at the end, which really is the thing that opens everybody's eyes. In my experience, and I've been, you know, I have had a political show for a long time. In my experience, there's, there are instances of like aha moments. And it's usually things that are just so simple and straightforward that give people the aha moments. Like as soon as people know, like under this guy's presidency, 30 million people lost their health insurance. That's one of those things that a lot of people go, oh, oh, that's like totally unforgivable. You know how many uninsured people there are in other developed countries? None. They have universal health care. We don't. We have a pandemic and tens of millions of people hemorrhaging their health insurance at the same time. So these are the things that are unacceptable. These are the things that give people the light bulb moments. I love showing his old statements, but just you got to mix it in with that fact. Okay. Now, I would like to do one more for you. Let's go with Janine Pirro, Fox News host. You know, a lot has been made over the years about just how far right the Republican Party has moved, just how off the spectrum they are, where, as Noam Chomsky says, they don't even resemble a governing political party anymore. It's just this ragtag amalgamations of various types of extremists. Um, 
Now, I don't think that's overstated. I do think that there are plenty of Republican voters who are just sort of average Joes, and if they heard out a solid argument for left ideas, particularly on economics, they'd be like, oh, sign me up for that. And the numbers actually show that. But the people who make up some of the most ardent supporters, but also many in the leadership, many prominent voices, they are just totally out of their minds. And they have made it so that the party is off the spectrum. So uh, case in point here, we have Janine Pirro, who's a Fox News host. And look at the opinion that she casually shared the other day. Joe Biden is afraid of him. He'll use a pandemic. Uh, I think it's hysterical when he and his wife come out together and they're wearing their masks, you know. They're, they've been housed together since the pandemic started, and they're wearing masks together when they come out. What is the point of the mask? The point of the mask is to basically kind of dehumanize. It's to, you know, frighten people. You don't know who's behind the mask. It's to give people cover. It's exactly what the, the anarchists and the protesters need. You know, it strikes fear. There's something going on. There are all kinds of subliminal messages to that mask. And, you know, she's always in that black mask. That's a Fox News host. That's a Fox News host taking an anti-mask position. It's like what Louis Gohmert said. Louis Gohmert said, yeah, I got COVID, and I think I got it from the mask. I don't know how we got to this position where we do appear unique among countries that everything is partisan here. Everything becomes partisan. Everything becomes partisan. You don't see the conservatives of other countries that are just flatly anti-mask. Maybe there are some. But I reckon there are a lot more in the United States of America. And there are prominent voices like Janine Pirro, who has a show. And she's arguing against masks. By the way, somebody crunched the data on it. And Sean Hannity, he was a a skeptic of COVID early on. And so his audience had a much higher death rate. And then Tucker, who who was saying it's a problem early on and now has since gone in the other direction and said, no, it's not. You know, uh, at first he had a lower death rate, and now I'm sure his is going up as well because he's pitching to his audience the idea that, you know, this is all overstated. These things have real-world consequences. Do they not understand, like, the immense responsibility they have as prominent voices who millions of people listen to? Like, do you not understand that if you casually say some anti-mask stuff, that can lead to deaths? Now, for anybody who's still skeptical, I'll bring up, the golden argument, as I've brought up a thousand times before, which is Japan's initial response to COVID, they had some limited economic shutdowns, but not, nothing crazy, just targeted you know, specific sectors, but a lot of the economy was still left open. But they basically had a, a, a plan of universal masks, and they only had about a thousand COVID deaths as a result of that. Now, recently, there's been some more cases but that's because they opened bars and restaurants and, and sumo wrestling now and all these things that were inside with more people. Um, but their initial response of just like, hey, we're, 
mostly were going to lean on the mask thing, and they had a thousand deaths, less than a thousand initially. Whereas us here, I mean, we're a mess. You have different rules in different states, but there's no federal mask mandate or anything like that. And then, um, you know, we have 150,000 plus deaths and growing rapidly every day because our case number is growing rapidly every day as well. So not only is it like, and this is my point, it's not just that like, oh, masks are part of the solution. Masks are probably the biggest part of the solution. You know, masks, social distancing, and targeted closures in certain industries that just can't be open without massive transmission of the virus, like restaurants and bars. Like, that's it! But no, in order to make a point to burn Biden, because he's, oh, he's wearing a mask, what a bitch. She says, what's the point of a mask? Quote, the point of a mask is to dehumanize and frighten. Really? I thought it was to stop yourself from getting the virus and stop you from spreading it to others. That's what I thought. No, oh, no, it's to dehumanize and frighten. And then, of course, she says, oh, it's to give people cover. That's the, for the anarchists. Really? Is that what's going on here? So, like, when Democratic governors say we want to have, you know, universal mask policy in our state, is that what they're really trying to do, Janine? Let me give cover to anarchists. And let me give cover to looters and rioters. That's the point, because I, random Democratic governor in the United States of America, I'm pro-anarchy. This is, this is how she thinks. And I'll say it again, she has a show. She has a show. I, I really do find it amazing how there are certain things where, you know, you, you would think there's no way there's going to be disagreement on this, right? And then there, somehow there becomes disagreement on it. And you're like, I don't. How did this one become contentious? To wear a mask during a pandemic is a contentious position? They have no idea how stupid they look. You have no idea how idiotic you look. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. Like, I feel bad for you, but I also hate you. It's both of those things. Like, I, I, I feel bad. This is flat out embarrassing, but I really feel bad for the viewers who don't know any better, who are being swayed by people they trust into believing these insane, stupid conspiracies about a mask. What's the downside of wearing a mask? You know, it, it's about as freedom-restricting as wearing a seatbelt. Except it's probably even more important because it's going to save... It. A virus is an acute problem. You know, every time you drive, you're not going to crash, but a virus is an acute problem. If you get it, you're in trouble. So it's probably just as important it's not more important than wearing a seatbelt, and nobody's screaming that seatbelts are tyranny these days, right? But somehow masks are, like, tyrannical. Fox News host. This is her position. Terrifying that there are people like this who have sway in this country. Okay. We are done, baby. I love you guys. Um... I'll talk to you guys soon. I hope everybody's staying safe out there. I hope everybody's doing okay financially, man. I know it's tough with the fucking unemployment running out and with so many jobs going away and everybody's just struggling. It's just a tough thing, man. And we know the answers, but the answers are not implemented because the government is total shit. So I'll leave you on that depressing note, but everybody hang in there and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.